You're listening to Podcasting Paradigms with Dave Truss and my guest, Valerie Urban. Valerie, welcome. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, my, uh, my role is a professor of educational technology at the University of Victoria, um, and I've been um, involved in teacher ed, uh, pre-service, and also in-service and grad studies um, around educational technology, but also plenty of folks who are very much interested in educational change um, and uh, open education um, and, and open pedagogy. So, um, and that's, yeah, a, a parent of two girls and, and have two dogs. <laughs> and, and I'm really invested in what's happening right now and, um, you know, feel like I really want to help. I'm, I'm just remembering that uh, when I first met you, we were both, um, uh, doing uh, presentations in Toronto, uh, Niagara Falls. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we knew each other on Twitter, but we actually planned a flight from Vancouver together. So I had about uh, four, four and a half hours of uninterrupted Valerie time there and back. And that was a, a <laughs> way to get to know you. Yeah, uh, that was great. As well as getting to see you in the conference. So it's one of those things where you make connection on Twitter and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's uh, instant friends. Um, and I, I've really been a fan of some of the things that you've done. Uh, I think the one place I'd love to start is with uh, Tigrad and what you've done there. Yeah, um, well, I, I started up um, a, an MED cohort um, and we call it Tigrad, sort of uh, technology and innovation and education as sort of what the Thai stands for. Um, and one of the things that bugged me all the time was um, being in a brick and mortar institution and this parallels quite a bit to K-12 right now in the pandemic um, and being frustrated that I had learners who you know some had disabilities autoimmune things that they had to stay home and uh, one actually couldn't stay in our program was was uh, unable to do our core courses which were face-to-face -face. and being um, highly aware of the frustration of, you know, having really amazing people in Vancouver or beyond who wanted to study with me and having to say, well, you got to come to our university because the core courses are face to face. Or, um, but when you run the way we do it, when we run a, a cohort, we can kind of, we plan out and we can pitch the whole thing and, you, and we can sort of, you know, get, get around that a little bit. Um, and I had, uh, you know, one teacher or actually by principal, I believe, up in um, Swaintula even, who was messaging or calling every day <laughs> and saying, you gotta let me in. I don't have any other choice. I'm gonna go to and named a couple of, you know, places with, you know, not so great names. You know, I'm gonna be stuck going here for my master's. I wanna go there. I, I, I'm an alumni, you know, uh, why do I have to like leave the brick and mortar kind of branding and system um, to get a master's it's just because I'm remote now. And, and that really, you know, those stories drew on my heartstrings. And so I, um, I decided, well, I can do this. We can, we have lots of video conference rooms around, offered emerging uh, modes, pick your mode. So I think we had a bit more online on that one and, and fewer face-to-face, -face. but the current one we have right now, I think we have 13 from the greater Victoria area and 12 from right across BC with one person from Manitoba and we and, connect. And one of the yeah. projects that you did, that, um, the, the website, uh, first give the address to it so quickly. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, edtechuvic.ca uh, slash remote teaching. 
Right. And uh, yeah, that was, I mean, coming, I was thinking I have these wonderful teachers for an intense July course. They're already burned out. They already have two intense July courses to take. And just thinking they're coming off of the spring. And the last thing I want to do is make, I don't know, just a rough <laughs> July thing. So I thought, why don't we try to like lift lift the academic kind of pressures of read a bunch of papers and write a bunch of things and um, and how do we make it more practical and and I always try and do this but it was uh, especially important I think to have time to reflect and so um, we gathered and connected we I pulled them for how much they wanted synchronous so instead of like it usually is two hours a day five days a week that's what they put in the calendar and pulling them that ranged from one to three days a week. Um, and I ended up settling on two with one day drop in. I mean, listening to learners, you know, what, what do you want? You know, it's, it's a pandemic. You just came off and having that listening. So we, we designed it around that. Um, and then uh, I, I just said, well, how about we, it was, it was a learning design course. So I said, why don't we identify the outcomes that teachers need to survive in that spring reflecting back work in pairs or trios, identify, you know, at least one outcome per person on a team and um, two assignments pretty much, uh, uh, well, three, but like two big ones that uh, curate resources that can help meet that outcome um, and create resources or a resource and, and look at the literature to try to make sure, you know, that what you're pushing is actually supported in the literature so um and they they did such amazing work and um it's not a static site so if people do want to um you know get uh, their blogs connected we can aggregate more resources to it um and you know happy to even give some people log in to post from within as well yeah and that's that's fantastic and you know one of the things that uh it hasn't gone past me is the fact that, you know, when, in designing the course, you're, you're, you're creating space and time to listen to the learners. And I think that that's something that um, uh, people often forget when they're shifting to, to online or some sort of blended. It's like uh, the time on camera becomes now I've got their attention. So mm -hmm. let me kind of spew things one way. Um, and it's not, it's not intentional. It's not, uh, something that people do, um, and to in any way limit their learners, but it, it does become limiting when every opportunity that you get together is one where you're kind of spewing the information while you have students. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. much and, so. And, and so one of the key things about that website, and I'll put the links in, um, uh, in, in the post, uh, but is that, what you're saying is um, even though they're looking at these resources, they are, they are looking at uh, a little bit of, um, you know, the practice and what they're doing. Oh, totally. And, and it's, it's teachers helping teachers, you know, um, with a lot of it was, um, you know, some of them were quite brutally honest saying, I really didn't do this very well in the spring. I need to learn how to do this better if I'm doing this again in the fall. And, um, and it was just amazing. And a lot of, I mean, you may have to dig deep for some of them, like some of the links go to sort of generic sort of outside sites, but some of them actually are like, I should make these buttons for them to be like, click here. This was like file you can download and do X, Y, Z or, you know, um, uh, 
you know, templates of, of, of things, even communication logs, you know, like that, you know, really smart and well put together of, of tracking, like, who did I talk to? When did I talk to them? What were some of the asks or the concerns and, you know, and um, handling the communication better than, um, than it was in the spring. And, and I honestly, I saw like the tone kind of like people being like, oh, you know, coming in at the beginning of the course to actually after the sharing, I kind of got a lot of positive energy, you know, from them that, you know, the A, they're helping, you know, B, they're feeling more confident in the areas that they were probably feeling not so strong in. And uh, when the announcement came out to be all back face to face, I actually, you could kind of feel the oh <laughs> we just created all this yeah. great stuff i want to try um but you know the the thing is um it is within every teacher's agency to support learners or not in their classroom and this is something pre-pandemic that we've always needed instead of that child with anxiety or a health issue um, anxiety is a health issue though um to um leave there's brick and mortar school, you know, to go learn somewhere else, you know, um, we need to make sure we keep learners in their community schools. And, and that means learning the tools, getting more tools in your toolkit to support that, um, that remote access. Yes. You know, and uh, I'm going to shift a little bit, but before I do, the yeah. one thing is, you know, when you mentioned something like a communication log, um, that's fantastic for maintaining support and taking care of um, the student. Uh, but the other aspect of a communication log is that can be formative assessment. And a lot of mm -hmm. times yeah. people separate the assessment from the conversations that are happening. Oh, and totally. That, um, you know, when you're doing the remote, that one-on-one -on -one time that you get with students occasionally can be a form of assessment. You know, and that's what I do <laughs> in, in my undergrad course. I do one on one assessment interviews and it's an ungraded course. But even in the grad courses, when I um, teach uh, and they have grades, um, I tell my classes, you know, hey, and actually, uh, who was it? Someone else inspired me on this idea. Oh, gosh, I think it was someone from Coquitlam. Anyway, um, uh, to not give the, the, the grades. Um, and to say, like, we have, like, the, the number range, we have the letter, you know, A plus, A, A minus, and then we have a word, you know, exceptional, outstanding, excellent, very good, you know, all these different. And so I, I, I tell them how I approach this is I'm going to, like, give my annotations. We use a hypothesis to annotate blogs, um, and that's how I mark. I actually just, it's like track changes and comments right on a website. And so, but in there, I'll give my feedback saying this is uh, exceptional work, you know, and, I, and that means it's an A plus. I didn't give the A plus. I did not give the number. I'm not respecting the, what has 0.4 reliability, <laughs> but if they want that, they can reach out to me. And then in the end, we do a one-on-one -on -one assessment meeting and I ask them to self-assess. Um, and then I will revise based on that conversation as well. Um, but, you know, definitely um, uh, it, we need to start recognizing that we don't have to, like, put a number on everything and, and count, you know, we can loosen up and, like you say, have that communication be assessment. Yeah, I worked with a colleague, uh, Ken Andrews, and from years ago, he said something that stuck with me, and he said, um, ma uh, marking what counts, not counting marks. And I think that that's uh, um, a good analogy. Um, you mentioned a tool hypothesis. Um, it's a fantastic tool. If you think of 
the way that you can comment on a Google document on the side and have a comment chat. It's like that yeah. for any website. Um, yeah. And so it's a, it's a really neat uh, tool that um, I haven't used enough. I, I signed up really early on, but I've done yeah. very little with it. So I'm looking forward to using that a bit more. And it's listed um, as an ethical ed tech too, which is nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Valerie, I, I did I did catch you at a time where you do have to uh, go to another meeting in a, in a short while, but I don't want to move on without talking first about sort of your passion of sort of moving beyond this, the status quo, especially in a time of a pandemic. And, you know, uh, you've had an experience with your own kids um, where you've seen the broad spectrum of what's offered. And so what are your kind of visions for what can happen now? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I think... I think teachers and principals and superintendents need to realize that they have so much agency. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have done everything from homeschool to public school to private independent, you know, to private, you know, big system. Um, and to Jeff Hopkins, um, Pacific School for Innovation and Inquiry. And, and, that, and that's inspired my own teaching practice up at UVic. Um, and, and one of the things that really uh, you start seeing that people create these systems right like systems are not created on their own they're made by you know some really oh organized person i'm gonna like okay improve this communication make that uh make this rubric clear and make this you know where they're all moving around from here to there and it's it's organizational and i think this taps back on that um robinson quote you know that it education you know it should be about learning not organization um but uh i've seen so many different ways of of you know different systems different schools you know creating their organization approaches but they're all just made by people like you you know your superintendent your teachers in your district like people listening you actually are the system and that's the hardest part right now is to get people to recognize that they have the power in their hands. And, um, you know, we've, we've heard from, um, you know, previously uh, from uh, Rod Allen, who would say, like, there's no curriculum police. You know, our, our curriculum now is so flexible. You know, I, I think he said you can drive a truck through it kind of thing, right? Like, we really can make it shape around the learner. So, and with so much agency possible, and the recognition that systems are made by people. And yet I, I'm actually coming to the realization there's a lot of, you know, and I'm finger wagging my own finger quite heavily right now of, you know, we need to do this, you know, not do that. Um, and, and, I, and I say that because, yeah, we do need leadership to, I think, act better uh, right now, and <laughs> provide more leadership. But, you know, whatever leadership chooses, whatever happens, when it comes down to what happens in a school, we actually just can do what we need to do to support the learners full stop create your own you know system in your classroom create your own system in your school and and have some um yeah and have it based around relationships and um and learner needs and and by no means chase any student out of your school because they can't come face to face and not even maybe they can but they don't want to it's a pandemic. We, this is a human rights issue. We shouldn't be forcing people to leave their community. So find ways to, you know, meet these needs in any way that we can. Right. So, so ultimately it's um, 
the homeschool is the school that cares for the student, regardless of what their learning needs are. The, yeah, your catchment school is, is should, it should be just simply about, um, you know, these communities exist already. They're formed, they're local, you know, they're usually, you know, formed by neighborhood boundaries. Mm -hmm. That is who you need to love and care for right now in a pandemic. Love and care for your community, love and care for the people in your catchment. Communicate with them. What do they need? What are they worried about? Are they thinking of leaving? Because right now there is a, a, a lot of people looking at a mass exodus here because they're thinking they're going to be forced into, you know, the 30 class, 30 per classroom, no space. And, and that, that's what, that's the messaging we're getting. Um, a school and a community can choose to do what they feel is right for their learners, love and care for your community and don't chase them away. Um, I think that's full stop. Anything less than that's pretty crappy during a pandemic. Right. Yeah. Do you have any um, specific advice that you would like to give to, to school districts? Oh, listen, <laughs> ask questions of your community. Um, listen to them and, um, and create mechanisms to connect teachers and how this is done. Like we have that, you know, remote teaching site, but like, in a school, it could be connecting all the, you know, English 12 teachers across the district. It could be connecting, you know, from different angles on different topics. Find ways. It could just be about, hey, this neat way I use this tool that we were given. Whatever it is, connect them. Allow that sharing because the most important thing right now is going to be that sense of who can I talk to? How can I like share? I've, I've hit a roadblock. Here's a problem. How can I solve it? Or someone who said, Oh, I just figured out this really cool thing and it's working for my environment. Not everything's going to be like cookie cutter is going to work in another context, but the more we can actually open and create the dialogue, create space and time for that dialogue, um, space and time, you know, slow the school start. <laughs> if people can have that agency, you know, like ease up. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think the most important thing is going to be the teachers sharing their practice, communicating to them that they have agency as a teacher to, you know, make these changes and to support their learners. And, and you're the first person I heard that idea from, and it's a good place to, to end. But the idea of postponing the start of school um, and um, just share a little bit about that. And that's where we'll end for today. But uh, sure. yeah. well, I mean, I, I saw somewhere that the CRB ends like it was like October 3rd or something like that. And, you and know, I financial assistance for that's the financial assistance for, you know, and, and I don't think it's any coincidence that school is, you know, pushed to start up in person, you know, pretty much at the same time that people are going to feel the pressure to, oh gosh, I have to now go out and get a job and face whatever risks and I need to have my children somewhere. So with that, um, obviously, yeah, school, the pressure is now to, to go back on and provide that place. Um, and that ends but, in October. But if it ends in October, why are we pushing it for a September start? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and or it could be a, a soft start, like, you know, we had the June sort of, you know, drop in if needed, you know, very few people. Well, maybe it can start in that kind of way if it's a must, you know, um, but I don't think it is. 
Like, I don't, who is knocking on the door saying it must start in September for my family? And I'm sure if we cared and loved our community catchment school, find that out, put in the mechanisms to support those people. It's probably very few. And, but, you know, an October start, start when the needs actually begins. Have that month for the, the planning and preparation. Um, that's my opinion. I, I hope people uh, will consider that. Yeah, well, there's actually two considerations, right? One is surveying families during that time to find out what they really want. And then two, having the capacity and time to develop something that works for, you know, maybe not every single family, but the vast majority and far more than if you're just trying to go ahead without the surveying, without the time given to to educators in order to do that so but that said if we develop flexible systems flexible learning then you know we should be able to support the needs of every single family you know to resist the you know the boxing um yeah yeah flexible learning opportunities definitely that's a great place to end uh we'll have more conversations uh thank you very much great thanks for having me take care thank you